Hey there, welcome to Embrace Your Strengths podcast. You're going to hear inspiring stories of men and women who are embracing their top five Clifton strengths in all kinds of ways. You'll be encouraged to understand more about what's so great about you. Learn how knowing, developing, and living more moments using your strengths can bring you joy and purpose in your life. I'm your host, Barbara Colo. Hi there. Welcome to Embrace Your Strengths. In this episode, you will hear from Camille Watson, who is a young college graduate that is already going places. With her top five strengths of input, learner, empathy, positivity, and intellection, you will hear how these have been integrated deeply in her life, as she calls herself a lifelong learner. She has grown up as an MK or missionary kid, and I love how her passion and deep empathy for others who have walked in a similar path is evident in so many ways, but especially as she tells about the 400-page college thesis that she wrote about growing up in Ukraine, Russia, and Germany. This memoir has already touched people's lives and hopefully someday will soon be a published book. Her amazing love for learning has opened doors for her to be a Fulbright scholar last year. You will hear how her strengths were in full gear as she taught in Baku, Azerbaijan, as well as in her current role at Baylor University in the International Student Department. I love hearing how Camille has has a keen understanding of her strengths and a desire to be all that God has created her to be with her lifelong experiences as well. She enjoys life and is so delightful. Well, if you might be wondering, how do I find out what my strengths are? The Clifton Strengths Assessment was designed years ago to help you find out what is great about you. It will help you uncover the areas that you have the greatest potential for building on your strengths, not focusing on your weaknesses. Almost 31 million people worldwide have taken this 20-minute assessment. You can go to top5cliftonstrengths.com to take it. I would love to come alongside of you and coach you in your top five strengths if you get around to taking this assessment. We will unpack each of your strengths and talk about how they work together too. You can reach out to me at barbaragcolwell at gmail.com. If you find this episode encouraging, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi there. Welcome to Embrace Your Strengths. I am so excited for you to hear from my guest today, Camille Watson in Waco, Texas. Welcome, Camille. Hey, everyone. Pleasure to be here. I am very excited to chat with you and just learn more about you and your strengths. And I would love for you just to start with introducing yourself, who you are, where you live, and what you do. Great question. So hello, everyone. Um, I am Camille Watson. I live in Waco, Texas, and I work as an international admissions counselor at Baylor University. Well, that's great. Well, I know it's fun, just the connection that we have. I knew your mother when she was a college student at SMU in Dallas years and years ago, and it's been just such a delight to stay connected with her and And since y'all have lived sometimes in Waco over the last years, just to get to know you too. So it's, I just love it. It's really fun. Oh, thank you. It's great being able to connect with you as well. 
I know. Well, and we, as we chatted before, before we started recording, it's just, it's just so sweet to see how much you and your mom are like, and just <laughs> so many different things about it. I've gotten that my whole life. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Well, I would love to hear what your top five Clifton strengths are and just kind of when you took it and what kind of what insight that gave you as you took it and then even kind of what that looks like now in your life. Yeah, absolutely. So my top five Clifton strengths are input, learner, empathy, positivity, and intellection. I took these this strength assessment when I came to Baylor as a freshman. It's something they have all of their incoming students do, which I think is fabulous because it really does help students, you know, start to understand themselves better um, and they don't have to pay for it, which is great. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, and it struck me that three out of my five kind of fit in that kind of uh, learner and student category, you know, input learner and intellection all are pretty closely related. And I think with empathy and positivity, those are both kind of more emotional, intelligent kind of strengths. So those did not surprise me. I have always considered myself a lifelong learner. I think that, you know, the day we actually truly die is the day we decide we're done learning. So that's, it really made sense for me. Input was kind of interesting just because it was how I realized I really love data. I mean, I'm a very people person and I hate math, but I love data and I love statistics and I love figuring out what we can learn from it. So that was kind of fun. And empathy and positivity has, you know, that was zero surprise whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I apologize for that. <laughs> but, um, empathy has always been probably my biggest strength and biggest weakness because I'm of the belief that everyone's greatest strength is also their downfall. So that's definitely true for me. So yeah, this was, it was really great to learn this about myself and not so, it wasn't so much new revelation, but it was nice to be able to put more words and understanding into something I already knew about myself. So that was really great. Yeah. Well, and what, what did you major in while you're at Baylor? Great question. So I technically had three majors, but for all intents and purposes, I had two. So I did the university scholars honors program at Baylor. If anyone in Texas is familiar with that, but my primary majors were in Russian and professional writing and rhetoric. Okay. Well, this is a little backstory kind of question. I know that you were a missionary kid as your family has lived some different places. Tell me about that and what what that experience was like for you. And I, I think probably informed what your major is from what I gather. <laughs> Absolutely. So yes, I was a missionary kid or MK as we affectionately call ourselves. So I grew up in Ukraine for three years uh, when I was quite young and then Russia for about six years, which was my early to mid childhood years. And we left Russia when I was nine and moved to Germany at that time, at which point we stayed in Germany moved to Oregon for one year when I was 12, came back to Germany, and I finished high school in Germany. So that experience was interesting because, well, of course, with with all things, whatever you grew up with, that's what you think is normal until you meet people who have not had that same experience. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's always been difficult to wrap my head around living in one place my whole life, just because that's so far removed of what my childhood understanding of normal was. 
But at the same time, even if you think like, oh, what I experienced, this is what everyone else must experience, that doesn't necessarily mean you think that this should be how things are. So for example, when we left Russia to Germany, it was because of the Russo-Georgian War of 2008, and my family had to leave for as a direct result of that war. And then of course, where I grew up in Ukraine was Donetsk, which happens to be part of the Crimean Peninsula. So when I was 14 in high school, I watched my hometown, first place I called home in Ukraine, be invaded and attacked by Russia and taken over. And then now, about a year ago, when I was 22 in college, got to see that happen a third time to this Mm. first place that I called home. So it's funny, you don't really notice patterns until it happens for the third time. So it was that third time that somewhere I grew up became a war zone that I made the connection that war has been a prevalent theme throughout my childhood. (laughs) But that being said, though, I really loved my childhood and I felt really supported and by my family. I mean, I had a really great family and great parents and a wonderful brother who I'm very close with, which made a huge difference. And I got the opportunity to see more cultures and places and people unlike myself and languages than I would have ever gotten to otherwise. So I always like to think the MK lifestyle, it's definitely not normal, but you really get the highest highs and the lowest lows. And it's really, overall, most MKs I've met have really appreciated the good more than the bad. There's been more good than bad, but it really is kind of that balance. And it's different for everyone and that's okay. Wow, that's, I know, having been in ministry for our, um, most of our lives since I graduated from college too, it is interesting to to hear different stories from MKs. I mean, we lived in other countries, mm-hmm. not for as long, but like the whole time for my children, just nine months for one time and eight months another time. But mm-hmm. but yeah, those things really shape you. And I'm sure you're, you're still always unpacking what, what all those things Absolutely. meant. Oh, absolutely. It's been a huge theme in my young adult life, I would say. It's something I'm constantly exploring. It's something that's ever evolving, especially with like the current political climate in, you know, Eastern Europe. It's, you know, it really challenges me to think about what does it mean for me to be an American and a global citizen? What does it mean for me to be a Russian American? So that's an interesting part as well. There, there's always this ever-evolving process. And the the learning process about who I am also doesn't end, which is kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell me about your year last year. What, how, what got you there and what you enjoyed <laughs> about it, the things you liked learning and being positive about that maybe were hard to be positive about. I don't, I'm not sure exactly. <laughs> sure, sure. So this past year, I had the the real honor and opportunity to go live in Azerbaijan for a year as part of the U.S. Department of State's Fulbright program. I went on the Fulbright English Teaching Assistant track. So I was teaching English intermediate to professors at a local university there. So it was English for professional development. And that was certainly an intimidating process because I'm teaching other professors and I myself have no background in education. And there was some support from Fulbright in preparing for the actual teacher component, how to lesson plan these things. But really it was like a crash course, brief overview, and then you kind of figure it out as you go. 
so that was something that was certainly challenging. And I was in Baku, the capital of Azerbaijan. I absolutely loved it there. It's a beautiful country. I really think it's like a hidden gem of the Caucasus for sure. And it's not very touristy. It's absolutely gorgeous. Just global and globalized community in Baku, which was really refreshing to be able to be in that context. And I, even though I moved around my whole life, I've always lived in small towns, small cities. For example, the village, and I do mean village, that I grew up in in Germany was a population 2,000. Baku, in contrast, is 2.5 million. So that was a huge difference for me. Never yeah. had lived anywhere that big before. Certainly visited, but never lived anywhere that big before. So that was super fun and really refreshing. Definitely an intimidating experience teaching teachers. But, you know, just adopt a real fake it till you make it mentality. And, you know, it was really scary at first, but I think I grew so much more during that time than I than I would have ever pushed myself to grow in such a short time span otherwise. So that was a really rewarding aspect of the Fulbright experience, I would say. So mm. definitely the positivity comes in <laughs> in that as well, because you just have to. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Well, I know it was fun following you on Instagram and seeing just the little bright spots of your days and coffee shops and oh, absolutely. Azerbaijani coffee shop culture is unrivaled, you guys. You got really worth visiting just for the coffee shops. (laughs) Well, what are some of the main things that you actually? I mean, you kind of referred to it, but even as you were learning yourself in this new place, or even just the things about the culture or just what were some of your main things you were learning? Sure. That's a great question. Going into it, I really didn't know what to expect and I was trying to be prepared for any situation. Um, I think the biggest thing that surprised me the most that I had to adjust to quickly was despite the fact that Azerbaijan is a Muslim country, there really aren't the same Muslim modesty standards uh, like for women that you might expect. So I really didn't have to like change how I dressed in any particular way. And I didn't have to wear a hijab. Most women don't wear a hijab there. Most women who do wear hijabs in Azerbaijan tend to be tourists from the Middle East, which was kind of interesting. But it sometimes struck me funny. Like, for example, you can wear skirts, doesn't matter how short, but God forbid you'd be caught dead wearing shorts that are to your knees. So just like funny things like that, that are unique to every culture and like internal logic, like cultural logic is very much a real thing. And that's been my experience in every country I've ever visited, not specifically to Azerbaijan. So that was kind of fun, just like learning what is normal and the what what the logical thought process is for Azerbaijan and to adapt to what that is. And overall, there wasn't that much difference. I think It's funny, I do think my experience living in Ukraine and Russia helped because even though Azerbaijan is so different from Ukraine and Russia, my brain would just go to, oh, we're in post-Soviet world right now. Okay, and like a lot of the rules transferred over, if that makes sense. So it was a big culture shock, but it was like, this is different, but I know this different. And so I could just roll with it. So that was kind of fun. But yeah. It was a really great experience. I miss it a lot. I'm glad to be back in Texas. It's a very weird dichotomy within me, <laughs> to be honest. I bet. I hope I get to go back one day. I really loved it. Well, I think I think just the 
nature of your top five talents, I think is really a fun mix. And, you know, like, as you've talked about your input learner in election are kind of more thinking, reflecting talents. And Mm -hmm. yet, do you feel like me to me, it's like, wow, what a great balance with having empathy Mm -hmm. and positivity. But do you feel like a crazy maker sometimes because you probably (laughs) think and feel things more deeply on both Mm -hmm. spectrums than some people because of your, just what those strengths are about? Sure. I mean, to me, it's never felt like any kind of like battle between the two, if you will, because uh-huh. again, it's it's normal for me. I've always been a very deep thinker and a very painfully empathetic person. Like I remember I had my first existential crisis that I can remember when I was three years old. Because <laughs> Tell me about that. Oh, it's delightful. It doesn't sound real. So just like keep that in mind. I remember being (laughs) bored when I was three and thinking, I remember what I did today. I remember what I did yesterday. I remember what I did the day before. But if I tried to think far enough back, there would be a point in time, a few weeks back where I couldn't remember anything. And so I had an existential crisis when I was three because I didn't know where I came (laughs) from. And there was no way that I could verify where I came from. Now, I couldn't put that obviously into words when I was three, but I just remember thinking, there's no way for me to know who I am or where I'm from and to know it's true. And of course, I go ask my parents, where did I come from? And they give me some vague answer because I'm three. So that didn't encourage me at all. I was like, how do I know I can trust that this is accurate? So I was having that kind of, anyway, that's a long story, but the fact that I was having that kind of internal thought process when I was a kid and and that you remember it. Oh, absolutely. It, and I remember as a kid always feeling like I didn't understand why adults treated me differently. I stopped calling my parents mommy and daddy and started calling them mom and dad when I was four, because I wanted adults to take me more seriously. Like I always had this as a kid of like, this deep (laughs) desire and need to be treated the same as everyone else and being acutely aware of when I was being treated differently, but not understanding why or why that was necessary that I was treated differently as a four-year-old to the adults (laughs) present. But so that shows like I didn't have the answers, but I needed the answers when I was that young. And that was something I've always remembered and carried with me through life of a deep concern for how people are being treated and why has always been a theme in my life as long as I can remember. But that's a great example of like in like that intellection and empathy coming together of having yeah. this this intellectual thought process of I can't help but think all the time and mm-hmm. focusing all that energy as a kid onto how people are being treated very much fueled by internal empathy, you know. So mm. I think that's a good example wow. of how they've always yeah kind of gone together for me. That's fascinating. I, I love that. <laughs> well, when I, I love talking with people about their strengths and I mean, we're all on a journey, like who am I? Why am I here? What am I made to do? What's my purpose in life? And I wonder, like, even as you think, you know, you're kind of at a new stage in life, you've had a lot you know, with your college education and this experience last year, like, as you look forward, what do you think? Wow, this is, this is what I'm made for. This is the kind of thing I want to do. Or, I mean, I'm sure there's so still so many thoughts and questions, like, especially with your election, like thinking and pondering 
all kinds of things, but what comes to your mind or even as you look in the past to think, wow, I was really made for that. Like things that you've done in the past that you loved doing. Mm, That's a great question. When I think of kind of my natural strengths and the things like what I think of when I think what I'm made to do in this world, three main things come to mind. I was made to tell stories. I was made to guide and I was made to advocate. And I know that that will look like a lot of different things over the course of my life. One thing that I have, I think partially, if not entirely due to the fact that I'm an MK, I can't stay in one place terribly long. And that's directly reflected to the longest place I have lived in childhood. I can stay in one place about five to six years before I get stir crazy and I have to move to Azerbaijan. Um, so, <laughs> so I know that those three things are going to look like a lot of different things throughout my life because I'm not going to stay in one career until I retire and take pension. That's just not how I was built. And so the ways I have seen that already in my past, I, for my undergraduate thesis, for example, at Baylor, I wrote a memoir about what it's like growing up as a missionary kid, specifically from the perspective of identifying universal experiences amongst MKs, universal traits, the way we talk, the way we connect, the way we socialize, the way we see the world differently, those kind of things that we share in common, no matter what passport country we come from. So no matter if we're American MKs or Korean MKs or wherever, no matter what countries we've lived in, I went to a school for missionary kids in high school. And I was able, I always was able to identify these kind of these things, these universal core things we all had in common, even though we all grew up in totally different places. Some of us had technically nothing in common, and that was the one thing we had in common. But we still had this core that was the same. And to me, that shows that there is a kind of MK culture that we all share because of these. We all have different experiences, but they're the same kind of different. It's the same instability. It's the same having to make friendships quickly and then leave, like these different things. So I used my own story to amplify the universal narrative, I would say, uh, of what it's like to be an MK generally. So that was a really rewarding experience. And oh my gosh, just thinking about that. One of the professors at Baylor is an MK himself from the same organization my family is from. He's in his 60s now. And he was an MK in France, and he never knew any other MKs growing up. And he never met another MK, I think, until he met me. And I asked him to edit my thesis. And I gave him my 400-page thesis, and he cried reading it. He He said, this is the first time I have had someone put into words the experience I had growing up. This is a man who's in his 60s. So complete generational difference. He grew up in France, nowhere near where I was. So we had completely different, quote unquote, different MK experiences. Yet he felt himself seen and represented in my story of having instability and moving to different places. So that was a really rewarding Mm. experience to see that. So I would say that's a really great example of like, that's what I was meant to do in this world, to tell stories, um, especially the stories that need to be most told Yeah. Um, in terms of advocacy and in guidance. That's something I've really been rewarded to get to do and see in my new role uh, in international admissions in Baylor. You know, I think Baylor is just a phenomenal place. My family gives me such a hard time because I'm always advocating for Baylor 
so it was just right that I come and work for Baylor and get paid for it already. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was an international student. And when I came to Baylor, I didn't know anything about the American college process. I mean, I was so clueless, so overwhelmed. And I remember coming to Baylor and feeling really welcomed in a unique way to other colleges. Like other colleges were really welcoming, but Baylor made sure, like I had people working at Baylor, student workers who made sure that all my questions were answered. They got to the underlying causes of my anxieties and my concern. They didn't just foster a a good Baylor experience, but they wanted to make sure I had a good general college experience as I navigated this process. And that really made a huge difference to me. And that's something that I am really passionate about now, being able to give back that experience that I had now that I work in international admissions. I want to be able to help international students navigate the American college process that is often such a mystery in so many other countries um, and just a scary prospect and be able to help them navigate such a big decision and be able to be there for families and students as they go through this process is really, really rewarding. So that's definitely something I love. And that very much feeds into the empathy and I think learner part of that as well, because admissions is ever changing. You always have to be yeah. learning <laughs> to do well in that wow. position. That's amazing. I love that of seeing how, yeah, like you said, your experience, your just your skills and your passion to put things into words in ways that people some people don't ever even take the time to do that in general. But so what about your memoir? Is it going to be printed and published and people <laughs> around the world need to get their hands on that? What's well, thank you. What are you gonna, yeah, really? I'm serious. No, it's definitely like that was the goal. The purpose of writing my thesis in this way was with the eventual intention of getting a copy ready for publishing. Currently, I'm trying to go through the mental hoops of how how to how to rewrite the portions that need to be rewritten and how to market it do i write this as strictly an mk memoir or do i with the current political situation do i want to focus on strictly my ukrainian russian american childhood because that's really what the interest is in right now like as a reading market i'm still going mm-hmm. through those questions of really how do i want to focus on this how do i want to market this and that will ultimately impact the way i edit my current draft and how we go about that. But I definitely, that is an intention I have within the next three to four, maybe five years, I hope. So definitely very much looking forward to that process because I do think it's it's important for people to know that this world exists. That's yeah. hidden a lot of times. So I'm looking forward mm. to that. That's exciting. I can't wait to read it and <laughs> see, just, just see how God's going to use that to, I mean, there's so many people there like your professor that, yeah. that, I mean, I think I remember hearing what C.S. Lewis says, we read to know we're not alone. Absolutely. And it's like, yeah, whatever the situation is, just when someone puts words to it, we're like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. you too? <laughs> exactly. I'm really looking forward to it. And I'll be sure to send you a copy when oh, that good. is published. <laughs> yes. Well, that's exciting. Is there anything else as you think about who you are, the strengths that you have for someone that might have any of the strengths that you have that might encourage them or inspire them to even use them and develop them more? I know everyone's situation is so different and just their passions and their 
background, all those things. But yeah. is there anything that you think or even any of your strengths that you thought were harder to accept or develop? Mm. I mean, it seems to me like you've came out of the shoot just <laughs> kind of all, all wheels in the eye. Yeah. <laughs> I would say to anyone who has maybe some similar strengths to these, I would say, don't be afraid to continue learning. And you probably won't be since you have the learner strength, I'm assuming, to this audience I'm speaking to. But mm. I would say, don't don't feel discouraged. Maybe you might wonder sometimes, like, I'm kind of the only person who seems to care about continuing to research something that's interesting to me. Is this just a hobby? Like, do I need to focus on more important things like getting a job and going to college? To that I say, <laughs> uh, continuing learning is how you get to all those things. Like mm-hmm. the things you're passionate about that you want to research that you don't think are going to pay off into meaningful careers. For example, I have an obsession with marine biology that's not going to ever serve me in a career, but it's something that's interesting to me that just it creates more opportunities for my own mental strength, I guess you could say. Like, yeah, if we stop learning, that's that's how the brain dies. So it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what you're learning, so long as you're learning, and you will f- see unique ways that that comes back around that you can't anticipate or expect. And if you have the empathy strength, I would say, I know that sometimes it feels like your heart is just too big, and there's just so much good in the world, but also so much pain in the world. I would say it's very important with having an empathy strength to learn how to balance that and to learn how to not let your feelings overrule your judgment. Of course, it's not healthy to push feelings down or to compartmentalize, but if you need to compartmentalize your feelings so you can put them away for a minute so you can get through the day and go process them later, that's going to be an important strength to learn so that you can control your emotions and not let your emotions control you. And always therapy for anyone and everyone. Everyone could benefit Mm -hmm. from therapy. And that, I think, has been a wonderful amazing aspect of my journey that has definitely helped me to be here today. And I would not be here today without my amazing high school therapist. So shout out to you, Sarah, you know who you are. Um, (laughs) So yeah, (laughs) that would be all I have to say on that. Yeah. And don't Mm. be afraid to be authentic. That's what we need more of in this world. Yeah. That's so great. Well, Camille, you're just such delight. It's so fun to (laughs) chat with you. And I'm glad that you're kind of nearby. And hopefully we can meet for lunch or dinner again sometime soon. I would definitely love that. Yes. So, well, thank you for making time. And you're, you know, I know your days are full. You're a busy woman (laughs) on the move. And even just with all the... Exactly. All the books behind you, I can tell you're ready to maybe even <laughs> sit down and read another book. Oh, so, absolutely. Um, I'm currently reading Anna Karenina. It's a delight. So, <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much. And is there any um, particular links or any way people could find you or learn more about what you're doing that oh, you'd like to share? Fun. If not, yeah, okay. if anyone wants to come follow my journey on Instagram at h.c.watson. I have uh, very cute pets you can check out on there. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So, yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much, Camille. Take care. We'll talk to you thank later. You. It's great to Bye-bye. talk to you, Barbara. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope this time has given you hope and encouragement about how amazing you are or helped you understand someone you know or work with or love. 
If you're curious about your top five strengths, you can take the assessment at cliftonstrengths.com. If this episode's been helpful to you, please leave a review, share the podcast with a friend, or subscribe to Embrace Your Strengths podcast. You can find more information at barbaracolwell.com. I sure look forward to our next time together. Take care.